Do you get caught up in other people's problems and emotions? Does the phrase loving detachment just baffle you? Welcome to episode 188 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Maria, Lucy, Patricia, Julie, and Stephanie. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Maria, Lucy, Patricia, Julie, and Stephanie, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you'd like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me today is Tom. Welcome to the studio. Thanks, Spencer. I wanted to start with a reading, as usual. And this is a, a flyer that you can probably find in just about any Al-Anon meeting. may even be in the, the usual packet that we hand out to newcomers. I don't remember. It's called Detachment. And I will put a link to this in the show notes at therecoveryshow.com slash 188. It says, Detachment is neither kind nor unkind. It does not imply judgment or condemnation of the person or situation from which we are detaching. Separating ourselves from the adverse effects of another person's alcoholism can be a means of detaching. This does not necessarily require physical separation. Detachment can help us look at our situations realistically and objectively. Alcoholism is a family disease. Living with the effects of someone else's drinking is too devastating for most people to bear without help. In Al-Anon, we learn nothing we say or do can cause or stop someone else's drinking. We are not responsible for another person's disease or recovery from it. Detachment allows us to let go of our obsession with another's behavior and begin to lead happier and more manageable lives, lives with dignity and rights, lives guided by a power greater than ourselves. We can still love the person without liking the behavior. Tom, what does this reading say to you? I don't know if you remember the first time you saw this flyer or maybe... Just hearing it again today, you're thinking of this, some things. Yeah, the word detachment, it didn't really ring any bells at first. I was, was pretty confused. There was, a lot of, there was a lot of terminology being thrown at me when I first came into the program. So it was all, it all kind of got lost. And uh, sounded, a lot of things sounded like really great concepts to me and, uh, you know, caught my, caught my ear. Um, and then in one ear, out the other sometimes. And, if it wasn't for going to meetings consistently, I think it would have remained lost. Through those meetings, I've heard a lot of really good informative shares where people have discussed where they have used detachment that inspired a lot of uh, reflection on my part, I'm thinking about times where I have used detachment. And I, I like that we're going to be focusing on the different types of uh, detachment a little bit. So it took a little while for me to realize that there were different types of detachment in my life that I've already shown that I really hadn't been aware of, and that along the way there have been plenty of people that have shown me detachment with various uh, various types of detachment as well, and and in that has been a, a bit of a learning process for me, and I will uh, you know spend the rest of my life learning uh, how to do it and how using the various types of detachment 
how it affects my life and the people, other people that I'm involved with as well. So those are the kind of uh, kind of uh, the summary of what I I thought of when you when you brought up the subject. Yeah, I think I first heard this concept of detachment. I was visiting my uncle, who is an alcoholic, self-admitted, so I can say that. We were talking about my situation, and I think this must have been in the interval between my cousin's wedding, at which my uncle saw my wife's behavior and recognized it as alcoholic, and me coming into Al-Anon about a year almost in between those two events. And, and I must have seen him in that interval because we were talking about the situation. And he said to me as we were walking out from the restaurant where we had had dinner together, he said, so my understanding is that in Al-Anon, they tell you you should detach with love. And I said, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I do not understand this concept because to me, if I was detaching, if I was separating myself from the person, how could I how could I love them? Because love applies being close together, not being separate. And it just it baffled me as I as I asked at at the beginning of the show. You know, does this this concept of detachment with love, detaching with love, is this baffling? Yes, it was baffling to me at the beginning. I had no idea what it meant, and so I had to come to Elanon and I had to hear people's experiences, and I had to read the literature to start to understand what, what this concept might mean. In the book, How Al-Anon Works, there's a chapter titled Detachment, Love, and Forgiveness, and as you might expect, it has a section titled Detachment. It says there, it says, detachment is one of the most valuable techniques Al-Anon offers those of us who seek to reclaim ourselves. Simply put, Detachment means to separate ourselves emotionally and spiritually from other people. Okay, I'm good there. Separate, detach, yeah, okay, but where's this love part? And then it goes on. If someone we love had the flu and canceled plans with us, most of us would understand. We wouldn't take it personally or blame the person for being inconsiderate or weak. Instead, in our minds, we would probably separate the person from the illness, knowing that it was the illness rather than our loved one that caused the change of plans. This is detachment, and we can use it to see alcoholism in the same compassionate yet impersonal way. Um, yeah. Like, I get the theory here, but being at that time in the middle of a situation with active alcoholism in my life, it was a lot harder to actually make it happen. It was a lot harder to actually see alcoholism in a compassionate yet impersonal way because it was wrecking my life, you know, <laughs> like it was screwing everything up. How can I be compassionate and impersonal about it? You have thoughts on this reading? Yeah, it, it seems a little confusing. What I've been learning in recovery is that the concepts and how you carry them out in real life seem to be different because it seems to be really confusing when you just read it on paper like it's just baffling for me when i was reading what you had read earlier and it kind of it goes along with what the reading you just read was <clears throat> as i've learned the steps a little bit better and learned how they they apply to a lot of things <laughs> i've kind of thought about like uh step 2 and that um i don't have to do this on my own which 
I came to a belief that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a, a critical point to my sanity restoration project, <laughs> which is Alanon. It's the program I live. It is so hard to separate, especially at the beginning, to separate the person from their illness. And that concept of we wouldn't be frustrated with somebody that had the flu if they canceled plans is, um, you know, the same idea that I've heard of, you know, you wouldn't be bad at somebody for having cancer. Mm-hmm. The line becomes blurred where character defects are so prevalent in, in this person, um, in my experience at least, that you're, it, it, it has meshed into one creature. So that's a process learning when you're when you need to detach and how to be compassionate and and doing all that stuff that's that's the uh quest that I'm on and figuring that whole thing out it's something again I understand it but putting it into practice is something that looks different every time I put it into practice it looks different because somehow you have to be detached from even what's going on in front of you live in the moment you have to be able to be not so emotionally involved that if I am super emotionally attached to what's going on at any given moment with, with somebody I know is a high risk, <laughs> I could get sucked right in and not see that separation of the disease and the person whom I do love and I do care for. Mm-hmm. And that has really helped me take a step back and let my my heart rate stay normal and not just get, go down with the sinking ship in front of me or get sucked into that vortex, you know? These things come in shapes and all sorts of shapes and sizes for me. You know, it can be something little that, you know, I've taken the temperature of the room and uh, there's a stormer brewing. You know, that's when I've learned I don't have to take the temperature of the room. I can just be my own vessel to stay along with that ship thing. And there's other times where, you know, I did take the temperature of the room and that's been already been done. I can't undo that thing. So now I can just, I can go into something with a sort of detachment and whether I accomplish it. How I have set out to do is something different, you know. Um, sometimes I still get sucked in. Gosh, that happens a lot. But it is so much easier for me to identify how I didn't really detach the way I had been planning on. <laughs> you know, I detached with a lot of anger that time. That was an angry detachment. And that really sets me up to learn from the situation and to grow and to find that progress and realize I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for progress. Yeah, And I wanted to look a little further forward in this reading because it starts to give us some tools. By seeing the person as separate from the disease, as you said, by detaching, we can stop being hurt by groundless insults or angered by outrageous lies. Learning to detach often begins by learning to take a moment before reacting to alcoholic behavior. In that moment, we can ask ourselves, is this behavior coming from the person or the disease? We talk about in our meetings, and I know we've talked in, in this podcast about the Al-Anon pause. And that's, that's part of it, you know, this taking a moment to say, where's this coming from? That's one way of doing that pause. Is this coming from my loved one or is this coming from their disease? And if it's coming from the disease, then it says this distinction makes us better able to emotionally distance ourselves from the behavior. We can remember that although alcoholics often surround themselves with crisis, chaos, fear, and pain, we need not play a part 
in the turmoil, blaming others for the consequences of their own choices and acting out verbally or physically are some of the smoke screens that alcoholics use to conceal the real source of the trouble, alcoholism. And so when I started to hear that sort of thing, when I started to read that, that gave me an understanding of what I could do, and it gave me an understanding of maybe why I wanted to. This really is, and recognizing, you know, I remember having conversations with people in meetings about sort of alcoholic patterns of behavior, and that can turn into sort of a, what's the, what's the word I want here, you know, where you say, oh, that's so alcoholic, okay, which is a little bit of maybe a put down, it can be. But at the same time, it's a recognition that this is behavior that's coming from the disease. It's not behavior that's coming from the person. When I started to see those patterns and when I started to talk to other people and we could see those patterns in common between our loved ones, it helped me with the detachment thing. It's like, oh, this is not something my wife is doing to me. This is not something my wife is necessarily choosing to do. This is something that the disease is, is leading her to. It's, it's really a consequence of, of, of her alcoholism, not, not her. And that, that helps a lot. You know, it's like, yeah, when somebody who has a cold is sneezing or coughing, I can be annoyed by it, but it's a lot easier for me to not get angry about it because it's like, yeah, okay, they've got a disease, and that's what's making them cough or sneeze. It's not like, oh, they're coughing to annoy me, okay, <laughs> you know? But it's it's so easy. It, it, it certainly was so easy at, at the beginning when I didn't understand alcoholism and I didn't understand its symptoms. It was so easy to say, this is something that my loved one's doing to make me mad. This is something they're doing to annoy me. This is something they're doing on purpose. When it's really they're coughing or sneezing. That understanding and this tool of take the pause, take the pause, don't, don't react right away, helps me to start to practice detachment, which doesn't mean that, that I still wasn't at the beginning doing what I like to call middle finger detachment. But at least I was starting to separate. I wasn't staying enmeshed. I wasn't staying obsessed. The reading said somewhere said obsessed with someone else's behavior. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I was. And detachment is a tool to, to remove that obsession. So you mentioned different forms of detachment and, and maybe you could talk about some of the different ways in which you understand detachment. Hmm. It's kind of going off the top of my head. There's like the, there's emotional detachment. There's detachment with Ang- with uh, with different emotions, I guess you know, like detachment with anger is a pretty p- popular one for me. Then the, I guess the third one, I think I learned it from the the podcast was indifference. I think when you detach with anger, you really it's like some weird form of care because if you if you don't care about somebody, it's more like that indifference thing. Yeah, you know that's true. I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah. So I've been actually really careful about detaching with indifference because that is bordering for me. I I seem to f- feel like it's bordering uh, isolation. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of these things. If I take something too extreme, now I've I've got a problem. 
I've got a problem. For me, I've I've recognized, you know, defects of character as things that started off as something healthy that went awry, that went extreme. I, it's just something that I'm aware of that I, I started practicing forms of detachment so extremely. I realized that I wasn't doing anything with compassion. I wasn't compassionately detaching. It sometimes feels kind of lonely when you separate too much, when you detach too much in the wrong kind of way. I've found that in recovery that I've done that. So it's not like you come in, for me at least, I haven't came into recovery, then everything immediately started getting better. It's just that I've uh, in, uh, acquired an awareness. I'm still doing a lot of things very wrongly, but I'm aware when I'm doing them and I'm seeing like, oh, there's this thing that's happening and it's bothering me. And I'm actually noticing other people being bothered because I'm I'm aware. And, uh, you know, this light has gone off. It was a couple of weeks ago, a kind of funny story. One of, I, I live with one of my qualifiers, so that leads to its own many stories. And so this is one of them. They're um, physically unhealthy, and I, of course, have identified their own patterns by taking their own inventory and, and things, which is, I say that with sarcasm because that's something uh, that uh, I should never do. <laughs> I'll should myself. <laughs> I should never take somebody else's inventory, but uh, it's just it's it's hard not to. Um, so I did that and I said something like, oh, it's because you're in this pattern of not helping yourself and you really, you enjoy this, not enjoy, but some, for some reason you seek this self abuse and you just don't really want to get better. Wow. That is just. That, that's the inventory you're taking of the other person. That, I said that to that person. Oh, you said it to That was out oh loud. God. But I said it in a really just kind of matter of fact, this is what you're doing. And, uh, that person person walked away (laughs) and they pot, you know, and I just kept doing what I was doing. I was interrupted. I was in, that was, you know, I was halted. I was halted, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. All those things were happening right in that moment. I was set up for failure, but I, I'm the one that pulled the trigger on that one. That's for sure. And, um, a voice came back again. I couldn't see the person. And he said, you know, that was really mean. And I was like, dang, she just shared her feelings in a, a loving kind of way. Like she just made a statement and uh-huh. it was, and it carried a lot of weight with me. Uh-huh. And so I went back and corrected that, but it just, it reminded me of something, you know, like sometimes doing this detachment with the, in the wrong way can lead to, if you don't, if I don't keep it in check, I don't see how I'm doing it. I can take it to an extreme. And that, that for me is something that I have to be aware of because I don't need to cause any wreckage going forward. I've done enough of that in the past. A lot of that was through det- detaching with anger. Now I can see um, where I've done some really negative detachment. I've done, there's been times in my past where I've done no detachment and I just went down with the ship. <laughs> And and I'm still and I'm still doing the negative detachment now, being being anger or indifference. But I am doing more more detachment with love. I'm explaining why, you know, I feel this way. And I, you know, when I'm creating a boundary, I, I try to explain it if the person if I feel the person is interested in an explanation. Maybe I'll ask if they're interested, knowing why I have to do this for myself. I don't have to always explain. It's something that you don't have to always do. You don't have that's not part of detachment. It's not explanation. And all the readings I see here, there's no explanation needed. But for me, it's helped me. It really has. Because it's 
It's been my cue to insert love here, insert compassion here. You're inserting anger, back away. If you could take that Alan on pause you mentioned. I think when you talk about not having to explain, and, and I recognize that sometimes I'm so emotionally caught up in a situation that maybe I just wouldn't be able to explain my feelings at all. Or maybe I wouldn't be able to say it, as you say, in a, in a loving, kind way. I would say it in an angry, hurtful way. And so in that situation, it's definitely better for me to not say what I'm feeling. And I was thinking about this notion of detachment with anger, detachment with indifference, detachment with love as sort of a, a spectrum uh, that we move through a process that we move through. And and I was thinking, okay, why do I feel that I need to detach with anger? Why did why did I feel that I need to detach with anger? And and I go back to something that one of my sponsors would say to me is that anger is almost never a primary emotion. There's almost always something behind it. And most of the time, for me, certainly, that's fear. I'm angry because I'm afraid that something bad's going to happen. I'm angry at my loved one because I'm afraid they're going to kill themselves by continuing to drink, to be explicit. And if the only way I can move out of my obsession, move out of my entanglement with that person's drinking and, and my fear of what's going to happen, if the only way I can move out of that is to be angry, then that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to detach with anger. I'm going to leave. I'm going to slam the door. I'm going to let them lie in their vomit, which never happened in my situation, thank God, but I know it can happen because I'm angry because I'm afraid. Not that I recognize that at the time. I only recognize that looking back. And so when I am able to move forward from that, maybe the only way I can disentangle myself without anger is to stop feeling. To stop feeling the fear, and the only way I can stop feeling the fear is to stop feeling a connection. That's a step, and and maybe it's something I have to do. And I don't remember... I don't remember if if I went into that like explicitly or, or not, but I know that there there was detachment with anger, and and much later, like you know, a year or so later, there was detachment with love, and there was something in between, and I don't really remember now what it was. As I continue to work the program, as I continue to understand, and for me, a lot of it in this case was about understanding the disease and understanding that. This was not something that my loved one was choosing to do, and they were not doing it to me. It became more possible to to love the person and hate the disease. And that's such a cliche, but it, it also is so true. Since you talked about that that reading from last Sunday before we started, I wanted to pull this up. This is from Courage to Change. It's January 22nd. I like this because it's a nice concrete example of of the difference. I tried so hard to learn detachment. Living with active alcoholism was confusing, and the idea of detachment seemed vague. 
The alcoholic in my life was a restless sleeper who fell out of bed almost every night. Feeling it my duty, I would help him back into bed. And so for me, that's that's entanglement. That's like, I have to fix this person's problems. There is no detachment there. And maybe I'm going to be resentful or angry that I have to fix fix it, continue to fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. You know, the, the person who's writing here, sharing doesn't say, but I know how, that's how I would feel if I had to do that every night. Uh, continuing, one night after attending Elanon meetings for a while, I stepped over his body and got into bed, leaving him on the floor. Triumphantly, I went to my next Elanon meeting and told them, I finally learned attachment. Well, they said, that's not exactly what we meant. We meant detachment with love. And here we go. Like, what the heck does this mean? Okay, it doesn't mean leaving them on the floor, but it doesn't mean putting them back in bed. Ah, I'm confused. So, I left that meeting with a new understanding that I put into practice the very next time my loved one fell out of bed. When I found him on the floor, I still didn't help him into bed, but I did put a blanket over him before stepping over his body and going to bed myself. This, to me, was detachment with love. And... In the detachment flyer, it says, In l we learn not to suffer because of the actions or reactions of other people, not to do for others what they can do for themselves, not to prevent a crisis if it is in the natural course of events. And to me, those, those points are, you know, sort of nicely illustrated here. Like, okay, so she's going to bed. So she's not getting, not suffering because of, you know, her loved one falling out of bed. She's going to bed. She's getting the sleep she needs. You know, in the next step, she's not doing for them what they could do for themselves. Like they could get back into bed themselves and probably eventually wake up, discover they're on the floor and climb back into bed, right? Yep. And and finally, they're doing it without creating a crisis. And, and, you know, putting the blanket over there is just the love part. And I don't necessarily see anything about that in the flyer here, but... Um, to me, that that really illustrates nicely that it, the difference between um, detachment, just sort of detachment separation and detachment with love. Yeah, I think it was nice on that reading. I think that um, a lot of people uh, at the meeting from last Sunday that I had went to, including myself, have focused on the blanket of love. So it's really nice when you have these visuals, right. you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. wow, um, you know, visuals help me shift my perspective and to see it in just a little bit different way. And that's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. How do you put this great concept into good practice, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the blanket is just such a great transition from this good concept. Oh, this blanket could be my, could be my representation of love in this instance. And then how do I apply that to other things going on? What is my blanket of love in, in this scenario and that scenario? So it just really opened up my mind at that meeting. It was, uh, it seemed to be pretty eye opening for a lot of people. It's always nice when you can take a concept and put it on something physical and get your, get your creativity and <laughs> yeah, you know, go yeah absolutely. Blanket of love. Love it. I remember a friend of mine and I actually don't remember now who it was because it was it was some years ago in a meeting had a really nice visual for me about entanglement separation and detachment you're going to have to visualize this as as a listener you're going to have to visualize this so take your hands put them together and interlace your fingers okay you can't move one hand 
without moving the other. Like if you move your right hand, your left one comes along with it because they're entangled. Okay. So that's, that represents my relationship with my alcoholic before learning all this good stuff in Al-Anon, before learning detachment. If my alcoholic moved, I went with her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then there's separation. We, we take the fingers apart, we take the hands apart, and there's space between them. Okay. So now if my alcoholic goes, does something, I don't have to follow along necessarily because there's lots of space to be between. But I'm missing the relationship. All right. There's that space and that there's no closeness. Mm-hmm. So then the third step was she put her hands together and said, okay, so now we together, but we're detached because if I move my right hand away from my left hand, my left hand doesn't have to go with it. Okay. Um, so I can be with the person, but I don't have to be enmeshed or entangled with them. I can be detached. And, and that, again, that's, for me, that was this really nice visual about how we can be in relationship with somebody, but not having to react to everything they do, not having to fix every problem, not having to move when they move. That really helped me. <laughs> I don't know if it helps you, but it really helped me because my emotions don't have to be ruled by, connected to her actions. That I just, I loved that. So, Thinking about different kinds of detachment, sort of this detachment, emotional detachment, or detaching the person from the disease. But a third place that I've heard the word detachment used in the program is detaching from outcomes, which is sort of, you know, the let go and let God concept that when I've done what I can do, I have to, I have to let go of what the eventual result is. I have to detach myself from what the outcome's going to be. My expectation of the outcome, I know Eric and I talked about expectations a couple weeks ago. It's not exactly the same thing, but it also is because it's me not getting caught up in, not getting entangled with some something that's out of my control, where somebody, some person's actions are out of my control. They may do something I don't want. And if I'm caught up in what they might or might not do, I'm not practicing detachment completely. Does that make sense? (laughs) No, it does. It does. So how has practicing detachment, how does it help you in your relationships with the alcoholics and addicts in your life, the other people in your life, coworkers, whatever? Yeah, we we have kind of touched on it, but... uh, Get into more detail. I mean, I suppose that um, it's helped me put that pause in there. That's for sure. It's helped me think about how I'm doing things. And because of the way I'm perceiving them, I, I think more about how are they perceiving me? Am I giving am I giving this program that I've talked to some of them about a good name? Am I doing mm-hmm. the right thing? Mm-hmm. Am I la- allowing a power other than myself and greater than myself uh, a chance? To, uh, you know, am I letting go? Am I letting God? You know, it's one of those things that um, it's as practical as I want it to be. And I have to practice it. So on a a daily basis, I live with a couple of my qualifiers, as I had mentioned earlier. So it actually does help me daily. 
sometimes I fail uh, <laughs> a lot, but it gives me an opportunity um, not just to grow, but to go back and just correct this thing. I can just say it. I don't have to feel bad. I don't have to feel like I failed at this thing. I just didn't do it the way that I that was maybe the best way or it was just a different way. It feels really good and liberating in a lot of ways just to try to practice something different than what I used to do. Mm-hmm. Just that by itself just feels good. It feels really good. So I think that, yeah, I was in the kitchen and one of my, um, it was, it's my brother-in-law, he said, um, he's kind of just mumbling to himself, but with certain words distinctly clear, so just kind of, I felt like I was trying to rope somebody in to respond, you know, it was about like the butter being cut wrong. Okay. <laughs> All right. I heard somebody say... An ant action to a nuclear, (laughs) or uh, the other way, I guess. So, anyhow, it was like you know, a pretty big, pretty big thing going on over this small issue. Nuclear reaction to an ant action. There you go. That that works. (laughs) I think so. It's visual. So, I decided. You know what? I can respond, but I can. I don't. I can do it with like this caring kind of way, and and give myself the way out, so I can detach with some compassion right now. I just, so I took a look at the butter and said, yeah, wow. I didn't do that, but I'm not sure who did. And, uh, you know, it was just, I showed, I felt like I was showing concern. I didn't have any indifference. He obviously to me, and I still could be wrong. It really seemed like he was looking for a response from someone. Mm-hmm. It was a universal cry for help. <laughs> Somebody cut the butter wrong. Yeah. It was okay. it seemed ridiculous and maybe that was his disease talking. But uh, you know what? It was time for me I felt like I was stepping up to the plate and I was doing something different. That's when mm-hmm. I would usually just leave whatever he was saying unanswered mm-hmm. and I would leave the room. Mm-hmm. And that was my detachment. It was mm-hmm. detaching right. with indifference. Yeah. This time I thought and I still could be wrong. I thought I was detaching with some sort, some sort of compassion or care. I looked at what he was talking about. I made, I, I, I had a comment about it that was super neutral. Not that he was blowing this thing out of proportion. You know, it wasn't anything like that. But it was, or or what I would do. I didn't give him any unsolicited advice. That's something else. I, you know, I, you know, you you want a response? I'll give you a response. You know, that's. That's the other thing I do. I either do indifference, or, you know, so this way, it seemed like it was in the middle. So there's an example of, of a way that I thought would be just different yeah. than before. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? No explosion happened. He yeah. was not upset. I just left. He kind of just made some sort of chuckling noise or, you know, yeah. he didn't, maybe yeah. he was confused. Maybe he didn't know what to say, but it was not it wasn't what I've seen in the past. He does this thing, I do this thing, and then the nuclear explosion happens, and then the crisis happens. And I actually didn't, you know, in the in the past, I didn't really see that I was helping this crisis occur. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I did my I did my part, you know, and um, I tried something new. And golly, it just feels so good when you see a program in action. You know, so that's a good example for me that, you know, that happened maybe a couple of weeks ago. And I'm sure there's been 
um, you know, several things since then that have happened. But I'm I'm always trying to. Uh, here's a good opportunity, yeah. you know. But the circumstances have to be right for me too. They really do. And and you know, and that's the thing I'm working on. I you know I I can't always control whether I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I can to some degree, but you know and. You know, if that thing's going to happen and I feel this way, sometimes, like you had said earlier, sometimes just not sharing, maybe just a, a detaching with indifference is better the, the better way to go because maybe I can still prevent a nuclear explosion. Better, better than anger, for sure. Yep. Yeah. You know, I thought about detachment. Um, I was talking to a friend recently who was really kind of distraught about some actions that their loved one had taken that really had nothing to do with, with the person I was talking to. But, but they were just like, uh, I don't understand how they can do this. It's horrible. It's awful. And it's really upsetting me. I didn't say, oh, well, you know, you need to detach here. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I think I said something like, you know, you know, people do, people do shit sometimes. And, uh, you know, it's really not anything about you. I don't know if it helped or not, but but I thought, yeah, detachment that is so hard. Even even sometimes when we when we have some time in the program, sometimes it can still be can still be really hard. I mean, I know I react to things. I don't have an example right now, but I definitely sometimes just react. I don't take the pause. I don't think about is this the person or is this you know something else going on that is that is causing this behavior and, and how, you know, it's not about me. I mean, it's probably never, almost never about me, but I always take it to be about me and then I react and that's like, that's why I have to keep coming. So I was thinking about the big thing that I got from detachment, from learning detachment was being able to continue to live with my alcoholic loved one while she was still in her disease and not having it drag me down, not, you know, me being able to have some serenity and some happiness and some peace of mind and being able to sleep at night because it wasn't being about me anymore. You know, yeah, I was still worried that she wasn't going to get better. I was still had the fear that I know where the, I know where the end point of this disease is and it's not a pretty end point and, and I didn't see any reason we weren't going there, but it didn't have to consume me anymore and I could love her. And that was the, the real gift that detachment gave me that I could be unhappy and angry about the disease that she had, just as I would be unhappy and angry about somebody who had cancer, just as I'm unhappy and angry about the dementia that my mother is suffering. Okay. But that doesn't have to change the way I feel about her. I don't have to be angry at my mother because she has dementia. Right. I mean, when I say that, it just sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so mad at my mother because her, her memory's going well, that's, I'm sorry. I don't say this very often, but that's stupid. <laughs> um, she's got a disease and it's, it's causing effects that I really don't like that. I don't want to have happening, but to blame that on her is ridiculous. But if if I can't practice that detachment, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to avoid her. I'm going to be angry at her. 
when her disease exhibits, when she can't remember from one minute to the next what we just talked about. I'm going to be angry at her when I can't detach her from her disease. Um, and so having learned how to do this with alcoholism, I'm relearning how to do it in other situations like dementia. Mm-hmm. And I can treat her most of the time with kindness and and compassion. And I can know when I need to take that pause, when I need to go upstairs for a little while, you know, because I just, I can't deal with it right now. I know that that's a symptom of the, of my reaction to the disease and, and that I don't want to take it out on her. So, I'm doing it. I'm going to separate myself because that, at, at that moment, that's the only detachment that I can do. Um, and sometimes that happens. And, but the more I practice detaching with love, loving detachment, the easier it gets to do. It's kind of amazing that it's like exercise, right? You know, the more you exercise, the easier it is to do. And, and with regard to the, you know, the alcoholic situation, it also enabled me to find forgiveness because when I really understood that this was not a choice and yeah, the actions caused by the drinking hurt me, but I, I don't need to carry blame and resentment because you know it wasn't, it wasn't something she was doing to me. Um, and I could find forgiveness, and I could I could have serenity and happiness, as I said before. So those are you know some real real gifts that practicing detachment, learning detachment, as hard as as hard as and confusing and and unintuitive as it was, just was like a real core for for my relationship with the sick people in my life. And and when I say sick, I, I mean people who have an illness of some sort, which is, you know, just about everybody at some point, isn't it? Sure is. <laughs> what would you say to, uh, you know, a newcomer about detachment? They're, they're, they're like really angry maybe at the, the alcoholic in their life. Um, what, might, what might you say about what you've learned about detachment and how it's helped you? We've mentioned it a few times, or you have, you know, the pause. You know, whenever I think of a newcomer, I think of a slogan. You know, slogans were short and easy and bailed me out of a lot of tough situations. The pause thing reminds me of the slogan, keep it simple. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in a crazy situation and I can think of either pause or keep it simple, one reminds me of the other. And then how important is it? So a lot of times we get sucked into this thing a.k.a. butter slicing. Um, <laughs> how important is it? How important is how this important thing? Is it? Yeah. Um, it's not. And yeah. and I would say for a, when I was a newcomer, everything was super important. Everything. The butter thing was super important. And be, why? Because I was, like you said, when you look at your hands, I, they were going towards the direction of the crazy butter cutting. I had to go along with them. And so that had been happened over and over and over so many times that that is a learned behavior that I had. That is just to say that when I was new, and everyone, if you're new, is to start looking for a new way 
to look at things and keeping it simple and looking for a pause is a great way to start. And how important is it? Awesome. Thank you. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. I had some difficulty looking for music to go with this episode because there's a whole bunch of songs about like separation and, and loneliness and, and, and all that. And finding some, something that really expressed sort of detachment with love. I might have found one and that'll be my third selection that I'll talk about. But the first one here, uh, it's from the group Dirty Projectors. It's called What I See. And I'm just going to read some lyrics here and you tell me if this feels like some, some form of uh, non-loving detachment. <laughs> I want to live. I wish I was dead. I've got to close my eyes. I want to live. I wish I was dead. This feeling haunts me. Behind these eyes, the shell seems so empty. Does anything live inside? Like, to me, that's a person who can't live in the life they have, and the only way they can figure out how to get out of it is to be dead. But they don't want to be dead. And that's like me before detachment of any sort. Yeah, that's good. You know, like what I see before program and what I'm seeing now, it's the same thing, but I'm seeing it in a different seeing way. Seeing it differently. See the disease, not the person. Yep. Yeah. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And, you know, we have, we've talked about it some already when we were talking about detachment and stuff that's happening, you know, the butter, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the butter. Um, but I'm thinking about my week and, wow, like, I think I, I went to two, two Al-Anon meetings since the last time I recorded the podcast, uh, so that's like a week. And both of them I ended up at a table with a newcomer, and so we talked about the first step. I think at least one of those cases I moved tables, it's because I'm feeling in my life, um, I've talked about a new project that I'm involved with at work and feeling stress about it. And, and I think I need to recognize where I'm powerless in that situation because I'm supposed to be in charge of a big piece of it. But there's a lot of it that I don't have power over. There's a lot of interaction with people in other groups and and just learning this new thing that we're doing. And, and I don't completely understand it. I'm not completely comfortable with it. And, and recognizing where I'm powerless then lets me see the places where I can do something and the places where I need to ask for help. And so I think part of it is I'm feeling powerlessness in my life. And so sitting down and talking about the first step helps me with that. Maybe not directly because what I'm talking about is my alcoholic situation. Uh, So yesterday we had a first step and as often happens, a couple of other people around the table, like, as I said, when I came to my share, I said, are you living in my head? Because although there are different people from me, they're in a different situation than me. Maybe the alcoholic that brought them to Al-Anon is in a different relationship than mine. 
our reactions are so much the same. And one of, one of them was about anger as control. And this person talked about using anger as a means of control. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, why do I get angry? Cause I, I feel like I'm out of control. And so I'm going to get angry and I'm going to yell at you because this is how I'm going to re-exert control over the situation when I feel out of control. Recognition. Okay. This, this, this happens at work. Usually I manage to squelch it, but the feeling still happens. And, and if I can maybe recognize that and, and not go to the feeling or not go to the feeling as strongly, I can deal with the situation more smoothly. What am I? I'm not management, but I'm a lead, right? And so I'm supposed to like model good behavior and all that stuff. And, and when I'm like, get this little bit of steam coming out of my ears, I'm not exactly modeling good behavior. <laughs> the program helps me with that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And it's not about the alcoholic, but it's about the parts of me that did not deal well with the alcoholic situation for sure. And maybe the parts of me that, you know, maybe brought me into relationship with an alcoholic in the first place, or at least helped to make my life more unmanageable when I was in that situation and similar situations where I feel out of control. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's what I'm going to talk about this week. How about you, Tom? What's, uh, what's going on with you? Well, I had some changes happen in my life uh, lately that have allowed me the... I should be able to get to um, another Allen on meeting every week. So it's kind of like my goal is to uh, get to, I go to one right now, one meeting a week, um, which is kind of just, I would say for anybody in the program would be maybe a bare minimum. So I, I, I think uh, some life changes will allow that, but it's again, any kind of change is a little bit difficult. And for me just to drop on, you know, on the, on, the, on a diamond to say, okay, I get to go to more meetings now. It's kind of a little bit. Um, difficult. When I was thinking about this particular topic, I've been learning a lot about um, the first tradition um, because it's the January, and I seem to be kind of running into these at some uh, meetings lately. And so I was just thinking about the impact of uh, detaching with love on the whole, your the family unit or uh, a unit um, and a whole, and that the uh, the welfare of the the of the group. You know, yeah. So tradition one, just to, thanks. <laughs> it says our common welfare should come first. Personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity. So back to you. Yeah, thanks. Detaching with indifference or with anger and stuff does not help the, <laughs> the unity. The unity, and so that's really been speaking to me a lot lately. When and and that's actually. To be honest, that's what's triggered um, the butter reaction when I said, here's my opportunity to help this unit be better. Mm-hmm. So just a little, cool. that's that's what I've been thinking about um, this month. And then I'm sure that uh, in February, maybe a little bit more tradition too. Um, I've been learning a little bit more about the traditions and how they really impact my life. Yeah. My Saturday morning meeting, once a month, we talk about the tradition at one of the tables and we did it sort of as an experiment. I actually proposed it because I had gotten so much about out of talking about the traditions in the podcast, uh, going into them in some depth and really starting to see how they apply to my life, not just to like Al-Anon meetings. And so we started doing it a little over a year ago. And when we came to the end of a year, the group conscience met and, and said, Hey, should we keep on doing this? And, and the answer was yes, we should. 
And people have an option. If they don't want to talk about their tradition, they can go sit at the other table or vice versa. You know, if they want to talk about their tradition, you come sit at the tradition table and it's once a month. So far, it's been a very positive experience and it's, it, it, it helps, it helps me remember how these things help me to learn, help me to live with other people, you know? So, um, sorry, didn't, didn't mean to, uh, step on your, on your share. No, that was, that was a great, good addition. So thinking about what's coming up with the podcast, I've been having some conversations with friends about, about topics, and we think we want to talk about some slogan or other, or maybe some related slogans. And I said, hey, how about Keep It Simple? I have some notes on Keep It Simple. Well, it turns out I have some notes on Keep It Simple because we did it like six episodes ago. So um, <laughs> it's not going to be Keep It Simple, but... Uh, We'll we'll find a slogan or two that uh, we want to talk about and 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 if you've got a favorite slogan, shoot us a, shoot us an email or a voicemail and let us know, and maybe maybe we'll talk about that one. I'm working on getting Altine sponsors in to talk about being an Altine sponsor. I also had uh, a text conversation earlier today with a friend about an episode about parenting about and and we're we're trying to sort of figure out what the parameters are. At one point it was like, well, being a parent of a child who is alcoholic or addict, but maybe broadening it out to how do we as parents support and help our children in healthy ways? What did we learn in, in Al-Anon about doing that? So if you've got thoughts about that, if you're a parent or if you've been parented and you want to say something about maybe if you have a parent in recovery in particular and, and you want to say something about how, Maybe their recovery helped you or helped your relationship. I don't know. I'm babbling here, so I'll stop. But if you have thoughts on on any of these topics, slogans, parenting, Altine, leave us uh, a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or questions. And Tom, uh, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of detachment or any other upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And all the information about the show is at our website, therecoveryshow.com. That includes a contact page with the the phone number, the email address, and other information about contacting us or about being a guest host on the show um, at therecoveryshow.com slash contact. So check that out. We also have information about each episode, uh, notes, and the music that we talk about at therecoveryshow.com slash 188 for this episode. Second song is titled Empty. It's by Ray LaMontagne, and, and it's from the soundtrack of a movie called Detachment, which, uh, but also the, <laughs> the lyrics seemed, again, um, sort of appropriate here. Uh, again, this is one about somebody who's maybe not, not detached in the best way, I think. I never learned to count my blessings. I choose instead to dwell in my disasters. I walk on down the hill through grass grown tall and brown and still. It's hard somehow to let go of my pain on past the busted back of that old and rusted Cadillac that sinks into this field collecting rain.
Will I always feel this way, so empty and estranged? And to me, that that's sort of the middle portion where I was separating from my loved one and feeling estranged and empty and, and not sure how I was going to get past that. We have a little bit of email this week. Um, not a whole lot. Hey, call us. Email us. Tell us you care. No, we know you do. Julie writes, Hi, Spencer. Thank you so much. I love the show. It has been great for me. I think Julie was one of our sponsors this week. Um, and Peggy says, Thanks for this great tool. And why don't you read Kim's email? Yeah, Kim writes, Just a note to say a heartfelt thank you for your show. I'm usually only able to get to one meeting a week, and listening to the recovery show daily helps me tremendously. It helps me stay calm and centered and working my program. It reminds me that this program is always there for us, wherever we are. I've shared it with several friends. Thank you so much. And and thank you, Kim, for sharing it, because that is, I think, the main way that we get listeners, um, is sharing it with, with your friends. I'm sure Google is also a help there. <laughs> And also, you know, it gives me it gives me motivation to keep going. I think, wow, you know, 188 episodes, that's, that's f- over four years worth of material. But then I think, well, but if you're listening to it every day, that's a half a year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, at, and I hope that that means that you don't stop listening when you get to the end, <laughs> that, that we keep providing value for you. Um, I do know that that uh, it looks like from my statistics, which I look at occasionally, I don't obsess on them, that that people do listen to things more than once, which is, um, again, really, really encouraging for me to keep going. So thanks for that note. We recently received two new reviews in iTunes, one from the U.S. and one from Germany, one titled Great Resource. It's nice to have this extra support here when you need it. I always get something valuable from this podcast. And one titled, Great Podcast. Very helpful, thank you. Which is short, but very much to the point, and thank you. iTunes reviews and ratings do help to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. If you're concerned about anonymity, you can give us a rating without writing a review, and your identity will not be shown. And also, we won't know you did it, so I can't call you out and thank you for doing it. But if you did, thank you. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Maria, Lucy, Patricia, Julie, and Stephanie did. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, you will, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, just direct them to therecoveryshow.com or just listening to us. We are here for you. Yeah, and I forgot there was one other email somebody wrote and said they wanted to support the show and and how much does it cost uh, to produce one episode? You know, if our expenses is about $60 a month and we have about four shows a month, I guess that means it's about $15 an episode. So that's one way to look at it. 
but like I said, whatever, whatever you give is gratefully and received. So the last song, which to me is moving forward into the more uh, sort of loving detachment, it's, it's a Beatles song, Across the Universe, it was written by John Lennon. Uh, but the performance that I chose is by Fiona Apple, because the, the music video is amazing. She's sitting or standing, singing the song in this... Well, let me, let me read the lyrics and I'll come back to the, to the video. Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither while they pass. They slip away across the universe. Pools of sorrow, waves of joy are drifting through my opened mind, possessing and caressing me. Nothing's going to change my world. Nothing's going to change my world, repeated. And in the video, she's singing these words, and it's a sort of a happy song. The tune is kind of happy. While there's this absolute chaos and wreckage going on around her, and she's just kind of floating through the world with this, this crazy stuff happening, but as it says here, nothing's going to change my world, that she's choosing to be in a world where things are okay even in the middle of this, like these people like taking crowbars and smashing things. And it's just, it's insane. And she's not. And to me, that's, that's the gift of detachment. Nice. Thank you for listening. And please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.